Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Dr. Tubi Ilmaz and Dr. Sophie Sagfossen about what makes NFTs valuable. Welcome everyone to the Customer Experience Management Podcast. We are in season three and today we're going to continue with some of the podcasts, uh, podcasts, podcast topics that we have been uh, covering in the past. Uh, we're going to be talking about NFTs and the sort of customer journey associated with NFTs. And for that, I have two very special guests. Um, one is a colleague of mine at BI Norwegian Business School. Her name is Tuva Yilmaz. Uh, she's an associate professor at BI. Um, she received her uh, PhD from Kosh University in 2017. And she has a variety of research interests, uh, typically in the uh, context of uh, marketing strategy. Um, she's particularly interested in complex in interorganizational relationships with a focus on the risk element that is inherent in these relationships. She has al she also has kind of like industry experience. She has worked as a product manager, and now she's diving into uh, the blockchain world as well. Right, Tuba? Uh, I don't know what what else would you like to uh, bring into the table now. First of all, thank you, Carlos. I am very excited to talk about our research and about NFTs, and I can't believe it came to this point that we can talk about NFTs in your podcast. So yes, I have been mainly interested in marketing strategy in my research, uh, but recently I uh, got interested in NFTs and the blockchain technology and its implications in the marketing world. And Actually, you are the person who got me into NFTs uh, <laughs> a year or so ago. Uh, so it started as a personal curiosity. I was really curious why you decided to buy NFTs. Uh, eventually, I started to collect NFTs myself. And my personal curiosity, I guess, spilled over to my research. And now I am also doing research on NFTs. Which is quite interesting because once you dive into uh, the NFT world, you, uh, as an academic, I guess you cannot do anything but just wonder what is going on here, right? <laughs> and I think that's probably the same case of of uh, Sophie Sackfossen, who is also our second guest. Uh, welcome, Sophie, to the podcast. She's an associate professor at Oslo Nihoyskule, and uh, she's also a colleague of mine. We have worked together. Um, she received her PhD in business administration from Stockholm School of Economics, and she has, broadly speaking, been interested in consumer psychology, how physical states affect people's mental processes and behavior, and, uh, you know, how external factors such as communications can influence mental processes and behavior of consumers. Uh, she has also become quite interested in technology in the context of consumer behavior, right, Sophie? Maybe you can expand on that. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Carlos, for having us here today. Um, yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, as, as the same with everyone else, I got really fascinated by NFTs because uh, they're so novel. Uh, at first, you don't understand exactly what it is. It's kind of complex. Uh, so, and that always makes me curious when I don't understand something, because how can something be, be I mean, I will, I mean, we'll get into it, but, but non-fungible but digital at the same time this was very intriguing for me um so that's how, how i started to think about these things so after that i started this project with you and then tuba as well which is brilliant uh, and then i also have another nft project going on but where uh, i look within the sports community uh, because and we can talk more about that later because they have a lot of use cases for nfts that are somewhat the same as for the art type of NFTs, mm -hmm. uh, but also in some ways it's different. So um, yeah, and as you said, I am come from a very kind of embodied cognition uh, type of field. So I'm very interested also in our physical body. Not only, not everything is in the cloud. Some things are still on the ground and I'm still interested in those things. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Let, let's let's come back at some point to uh, the, the example of sports because I think there are some quite interesting ones there on you know capturing like these signature moments of sport events that that are quite interesting for the NFT world. So today we're going to be talking about an article that we actually developed together. You know, as as Tua was saying, I think the three of us developed kind of a, a personal curiosity for NFTs, which if you lis have listened to our previous podcasts, it stands for. Uh, non-fungible tokens, which is a kind of unique, unique digital asset in the blockchain. And that curiosity led us to start some discussions, you know, and, and what basically is the value that people derive from, 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 from NFTs and how does that happen in time? And we ended up writing an article and I thought it would be a great idea to bring uh, Tuba and Sophie to, you know, discuss this and also bring their uh, examples and their expertise on the topic to share with all of you uh, the, the what, what we know for now, you know, about this topic. So, so you know, I have kind of like hinted at the definition of NFTs, but I want to start from the very beginning, uh, Tuba and Sophie. What are NFTs and what sort of uses do they have? So, as you said, these are non-fungible tokens. They are digital assets based on a blockchain and stored in a blockchain. In essence, actually, they are just uh, digital certificates of ownership or proof of authenticity. So these are unique items that cannot be replicated and you basically own them if you own an NFT. I guess that would be the simplest definition. That that that, that makes uh, absolute sense. I guess one, one question that, that comes after that is, and I think that's something that I've been getting from, from several people is like, why would you like to own something digitally? Or what is the use of that? Well, I think, um, now I'm just speculating, but I think given the amount of time that we actually uh, spend our attention and our minds in the digital world, I mean, right now we're actually doing this on Zoom. So we are in a sense in the digital world and with all the gaming and social media, if you add all these hours up, I mean, people spend I wouldn't say the majority, but a large chunk of their awakening life digitally. So I would argue, of course, you want to have own things digitally. Why not? Mm. And I guess it's also kind of like a way to, to, you know, like make, yeah transactions that make sense in an economy, I guess, or in a marketplace, right? Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what 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 other uses would you would you think uh, to what that uh, NFTs have? You know, that yeah. uh, kind of like become attractive for people to own them. So I think we can look uh, from different perspectives. One from a like an artist, a musician, or an author's, a creator's perspective. Uh, it is an NFT. The technology behind it gives you the ability to authenticate your work. It can be digital work or it can be the digital representation of your physical work. But what it does is that it gives you full ownership and ability to authenticate and thus trade your own artwork. So I think it's very valuable for creators. It also means uh, they can now own their artwork and they can trade their artwork, eliminating a third party. And uh, from another perspective, from the brand's perspective, I don't know, maybe we are moving too quickly to, uh, towards the brand's perspective. Uh, but from a brand's perspective, NFT and the technology, again, uh, means that it's a new way. It's a new way of engaging with customers. It's a new touch point between the brands and their customers. That makes absolute sense. So kind of like combining what you're saying is, you know, if, if you calculate, uh, I ask this question to my students sometimes in classes, like how much time you spend in front of your computer and your smartphone and you reach typically what Sophie was saying is at least half of our waking lives. I mean, that of course is not generalizable to every part of the world, but in many contexts, half of their waking lives. That means that we are kind of like doing transactions, living part of our lives digitally. And then if you add what you were saying to which is, you know, uh, we can authenticate the things that we do digitally, you know, and sort of like trade them uh, in a marketplace and, and, and you know, uh, uh, also brands can capitalize on this kind of like ownership to del deliver new experiences, then it starts making sense that, you know, in the digital world, we also have ownership. So, 
how are you know before we jump into the the, the, the specifics of, of the article that that we just got accepted in the journal of business research i will put the the link to the article uh, in the bio of the of, of the episode uh, how are nfts being used by novel digital firms and other type types of firms because you know like one of the things that i get and i'm not sure if you would agree with me but it's like you have these kind of like two big uses of nfts like one is the traditional brands that implement new technologies into them right but then you also have like this sort of new market ecosystem that is purely digital and as digital asset based so so what are some of the uses how are they being used by these kind of like two two two, two firms Well, I mean, I think there you can see NFTs uh, in two different ways. One, which you just described, Carlos, where, where the NFT is uh, like an innate product in and of itself. It's almost like the NFT is like the end product, so to speak. Uh, so the whole business model is built around the NFT technology. And those are very cool. I mean, we've seen all these art projects and also you launched a book uh, as an mm -hmm. NFT and that was like the idea from the start. So it wasn't like you wrote a book, physical book, and then you made it into an NFT. No, it was an NFT project from the start. Uh, but then I think the other way around is where you have a traditional business or traditional project or experience. And then you just add NFTs to solve different specific problems that you have in the delivery of your product. So those kind of problems or value that you can bring into these transactions could be like we've said, like authenticity, proof of ownership, uh, that you can't falsify, falsify it or like steal it, that you can actually verify who you are. I got this NFT, I'm should, I should be allowed, this is my ticket into a community, for instance. And those things, you could just add that onto an existing business. Uh, mm. which already exist, uh, but you just use the te technology of NFTs as a means to an end more. So by that, I actually speculate uh, now that I think in, in the future, we haven't seen all the use cases yet, for sure. I think we're just in the beginning. Um, and I also think that uh, some consumers of NFTs will not even know in the future that they are actually owning or consuming NFTs, but they will make use of the properties that the NFTs bring. So maybe it will be their access card into a community. Maybe it will be their proof of ownership of a digital uh, movie or memory as they have like in the sports business. Um, so I think it can be used for so many different things. And, and I think you don't need to necessarily understand all of the technology to ripe the benefits from it. By that, I, I got this example from someone uh, at, at the NFT conference in, in Colombia Business School in December and where he said, actually, there's so many technologies, like even your the Visa card and the MasterCard that you're paying with, you use it every day, but you don't know how it works. You'd have mm. no idea about the technical systems behind it. You just use it and it works and you're happy. And I think NFTs might be the same for some use cases uh, moving forward. Which is quite interesting because one of the things that you typically uh, kind of like when you enter blockchain and NFTs is the, the the sort of like technicalities that you have to go through. You know, you have to create a digital wallet. You have to, you know, own certain cryptocurrencies. You have to enter into a marketplace where you need to connect your wallet. And this becomes a little bit like tricky. You know, I was discussing in the in in like two podcasts ago with a with a person that is doing marketing in blockchain in Web three, and he, what he was saying is that you know the technology is sometimes not so user friendly. So that's one of the barriers for entry. But what you're saying is perfectly right. You know, sometimes you drive a car and you don't have any idea of how it works. You're just driving it. So in a way, one of the transitions that needs to happen at some point is the usability transition where people kind of like don't necessarily understand all the technical aspects of blockchain or NFTs, but they can actually access to their benefits, right? So one of the things that you said, Sophie, and uh, links directly to, to our article and is value, you know, what is the value of NFTs? And I think that that was probably one of the questions that got us together to start thinking, right? Because when you read the newspapers uh, about and, uh, or articles on the web about NFTs, what you typically get is somebody pay $2.3 million for a picture, a JPEG or something like that. So I guess the three of us, or at least I'm talking for myself, I know a bit from on your behalf as well. We started wondering, like, why would somebody pay 2.3 
million dollars, you know, for a, for an image. It, it doesn't make any sense, right? So, or or maybe it makes sense, I guess, if you see it from an art perspective, you know, and that it's kind of like a unique thing and you have ownership of it. But for many people, it didn't make much sense. But, you know, once you start diving beyond the headline of the newspaper article, you start realizing, well, it's not that simple, right? So I want to start from... And a, a, a kind of like fundamental question for you guys, which is what is value? And then once we answer that question, I want to move to the question of what is the value of NFTs? Carlos, that's a, such a difficult question. I wouldn't know what to say what is value. But I guess <laughs> what I can say is that value lies in the eye of the beholder. So that would be the only definition I could make. So again, as you said, we were trying to understand did these NFTs create value out of thin air? Why are these people buying these items? Why are they liking these items? And again, we realize that it is really in the eye of the beholder. So we need to go ahead and ask the consumer, why do you buy them? Why do you like them? To be able to understand all the drivers, all the reasonings, behind uh, NFT consumers' uh, decisions. And I guess what you're saying is right, you know, it's like uh, uh, defining value is, is not an easy task, you know, there is hundreds of years of, you know, discussions on the topic. But what you're saying is right, right? We, we can define value from the consumer's perspective. Uh, and I guess the other thing that I would say from from our discussions and from the literature is that value is multidimensional, right? It's like it's not that you just value is like the the amount of money that you pay for something or that you would pay for something. It's much more than that. So that simple newspaper headline of two point three million dollars has behind a bunch of different things that people value that actually make it that worth. Would you agree with me on that? I would agree with that. And that is what we observed. We observed that the consumers NFT related decisions are influenced by various different consumption values. It is not just monetary, as some would expect. There is also this uh, emotional aspect as to why they are buying NFTs. There is this functional values that the NFTs bring to them. And there is this social aspect that is the community behind NFTs. So uh, it is not just one simple reasoning behind why there are NFTs and it's not just profit or money, but uh, there are multidimensional values what makes people like and buy these NFTs. Okay, so if we put it specifically, those type of values you said are monetary value, then we have emotional value, which I guess one example would be, I don't know, you have these jacket that you love you know and you have been using it traveling with it and then somebody else comes and tells you hey we can trade these these two jackets one for the other they are exactly the same but you know the one that you have traveled with that you have experience with has a personal value to you right? like an emotional value so it, it it's not the same worth as it would be the other one and we also have social value i guess right and we have functional value, the sort of like the extent to which somebody delivers a specific function to you. Uh, and am I missing something? No, no. those are all, okay. all the four uh, buckets uh, of value. Okay, at least according to one of the models that we use in the article, right? Uh, these these four, four, four parts of value. But how does value unfold sophie in 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 the in the nft journey like first i guess what is the nft journey you know in this article we talk about a journey that people go through when they interact with nfts and how value unfolds throughout this journey so what what is this journey and how does value function there well i think i'll let tuba answer like the journey of the nft because you described it so well before um, but I can just add like one thing, uh, like philosophically about value. I think um, what also makes it a little bit tricky to think about value in NFTs is that it's, for me, it is both an asset uh, and a consumption good. So you both can consume parts uh, of, of an NFT because sometimes you get perks, you get access to specific events or new mints. Uh, for instance, but those after you have, after those dates have passed, I mean, those utilities are gone the same way you eat a piece of chocolate and it's gone, right? Hmm. Uh, but, but in addition, it's also an asset and an asset is something that keeps value or has the potential to keep value over time. 
And I think that is why it's interesting for us to look at the customer journey, because it's not only interesting to see what is this uh, NFT or piece of being valued just at the purchase moment, because it doesn't stop there. It's an asset and it has potential to keep the value over time. And that value can, of course, increase or it can mm. go to zero. Of course, very risky. We're not making invest investment advice here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good clarification. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that, Sophie. So to, what can we say about the journey? Because this is something that, you know, many people don't are, are not necessarily aware of it unless they are invested into the, the, the NFT world. So uh, with NFTs, like any other assets, I guess, uh, the decision making occurs in several stages. So first, uh, the consumer needs to find an NFT that they like and they look at the social media or the secondary market or a project website to this. And this is the preference development stage. It is the pre-purchase stage. And next, they will decide if they want to mint or uh, buy an item uh, in the secondary market. This is the purchase stage. And after the purchase, we are not done with the customer journey. Uh, there's also post-purchase customer deliberations, meaning um, the customer needs to decide if they want to hold on to these NFTs and how long they want to hold on to them for. Uh, or they want to sell these NFTs. Why do we separate them and why it is important for us? Because a marketer needs to distinguish between these different stages and understand what drives each stage. So if we know what the customers are looking for at every stage, we can then develop our strategies accordingly. Otherwise, it would be just a big uh, list of drivers that uh, make customers um, value an NFT and we wouldn't know how to attract customers at, diff at different stages in their journey. That makes absolute sense and I guess the customer journey is also a very good way to approach this thing that we were talking at the beginning which is you know how a traditional firm uses NFTs and how an NFT native company uses you know uh, nfts in their journey right because if if you go to a company you know you, the company or a traditional firm it, it will have like it will have its own kind of like customer journey specified and nfts will be a touch point within that journey whereas nfts are the center of the journey in digital uh, uh, native companies that use nfts kind of like as their uh, as their core product um Maybe, maybe we should identify or just mention all the drivers uh, that we that we found uh, because now we've mentioned the the value dimensions monetary functional emotional and social mm -hmm. and we have touched a bit on the drivers but we have actually not listed them so maybe would you mind if I just do that so that the no, listeners most know definitely. exactly what we're talking so yeah, so, for, so but but before you start so for our listeners one of the things that we did in this article was to identify different drivers of you know uh, uh, different drivers associated with the different stages of the cost the customer nft journey and that's what sophie is going to tell you about now like what are those drivers and how they relate to value yeah so the first one that came up in all stages and we can talk about later how the different stages differ uh, but the monetary value it has a driver called investment so into that bucket went a lot of different um, words and reasonings, but they all relate to investment of, of some sort. It's about profit, it's about long-term investment, short-term investment, and so on. Then we have the functional drivers, and then we have three different, actually. We have technology, ownership, and utility. So technology are all the specific, I would say, technological solutions that an NFT can bring. Um, and then we have this feature of ownership that you can actually verify that you are the owner. It's on the blockchain and it's on, you cannot tamper with this information. And as a third functional driver, we have utility. And here maybe you can help me out and give me some examples of utilities. <clears throat> so yeah, utility, I guess, could be multiple different things. For example, uh, I'm now uh, in, in a project that you start collecting different NFTs, part of the world of the, 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 that specific you know, digital firm. And once you have collected certain specific NFTs, then you unlock certain rewards. One of those rewards could be, for example, a printed 
physical object that is related to the project. In this case, it's a set of cards, you know, but of course there are others that uh, have different kinds of utility, for example, by not selling your NFT, holding it and staking it, which is kind of like, you know, embedding it into a, a, a specific kind of like aspect of the project, you can actually get rewards, you know, because if you're not selling it, of course, you're increasing the scarcity therefore increasing the, the the value, the monetary value as well. So, you know, there are different kinds of utility, but you mentioned others, which could be access to a concert, you know, or access to early stages of a product, you know, or things like that. Exactly. So utility could be mean a lot of different things and they're very project specific. I think we can all conclude uh, that. So then we also have the emotional bucket. And there we have uh, feelings of fun and enjoyment that you derive from the NFT, owning the NFT and being a part also of the NFT community. Um, then we have art uh, because we looked in this study, we looked specifically a lot about art projects, but NFT can also, of course, do other things aside from digital art, right? Uh, but art was a big theme and it was recurring in all stages. And then as a final emotional factor, we have this uniqueness uh, mm. and scarcity and all these things that relies to uh, or, or relates to that something is limited in supply. There is not enough for everyone, basically. There is some kind of uniqueness or scarcity involved at some stage. And this also brings emotional value. Um, I think it ties to status and status signaling, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, scarcity... Uh, brings uniqueness and uniqueness can raise per people's status. Mm -hmm. So, so what, what is this concept of digital scarcity? I know that it's a, it's a tricky one, you know, but I think one of the, you know, typically, uh, I mean, we know, and, and let's get to some examples, but an NFT collection, like a native NFT company, let's say, it's a collection of a limited number of NFTs which could be, I don't know, 1,000, 10,000, 7,000, whatever. And those are, each of them unique in their own way, I guess. But there are different levels of rarity, right? Which is how unique each of them are. So there are some that are, for example, with the book that I published as an NFT, there was one specific book cover that it was just, your chances of getting it, it was like one out of the 2000 of the collection. So if you got that one, which was, you know, it was sold, I think for 50, 50 ADA or something like that, which is the cryptocurrency, but it was sold in the secondary market for, I think, uh, 2000 ADA or something like that, just because it was rare, right? But this is the, 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 the this kind of like digital scarcity is kind of like, interesting for many people because it's just an image that just has some variation how, yeah. how would you think about I mean, that i mean we just got back from emac and there was a lot of papers and discussion just about uh, scarcity relating to nfts and i think uh, for me uh, uniqueness i mean uniqueness is the feeling i get from scarcity right but the mm -hmm. scarcity itself uh in my mind, there's it can arrive, it can come in diff, at different levels. So there, it can be scarcity from supply. So what you talked about that the supply is very limited. Uh, so the scarcity from the supply side uh, is the factor. But then, I think the other part of scarcity can be created just, uh, and that's not an absolute number, but it is just when demand outstrips supply. Mm -hmm. Then obviously, mathematically, scarcity arises because even if you have 1000 uh, nfts for instance tied in in your book like you had two 2000 but if, if there are 3000 people who wants to get it then you have scarcity mm -hmm. right and you still you then you become a bit unique if you own one because there are people that want to own but one but they don't so it's scarce even if it exists in 2000 copies mm -hmm. so i think that helped me to think about uniqueness and scarcity thinking that it can be very tied to absolute numbers, but it is also something that we humans can create. I agree with that. And also, I think there's this feeling of specialness if you are part of this small group, because you know there are only a limited number of NFTs. It can be 1,000 or 10,000, but you know there's a limited number. So you are part of this exclusive community. So there's that feeling. And if you own one of the rare NFTs within that limited community, 
you are the specialist of the special group, I guess. <laughs> and uh, as Sophie said, we just came back from EMAC conference and one of the papers were talking about this uh, rarity. And they were saying that the NFT owners who own the most scarce or most rare NFTs actually started to act selfishly. That's because interesting. Because they feel entitled. So it's not just a feeling of special, you also feel entitled. So there's this like, uh, you know, uh, a selfish behavior can uh, almost poison the whole community. Yes, they own the most valuable NFTs and they will make most profits when the project uh, makes more profit, but they can also act selfishly. So there are interesting aspects when it comes to scarcity and uniqueness in NFT. <laughs> That is super, super interesting. And, and you know, it's kind of like how, how digital ownership can actually change your behavior, right? In a way, and your way of approaching kind of like things. Um, I think yeah. we should mention the last category just for finishing it off. So the last one which we have yeah, uh -huh. which we have touched upon now is the social value and its community. Uh -huh. So uh, and we have talked a little bit about that. But I mean in many NFT projects, there is a community attached to it. And of course, that community can have more or less value, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, some communities are, are super active and they will give you, uh, as a part of that community, you will have voting rights. So you can influence the future projects and the roadmaps and so on. Uh, but mm -hmm. in some, I mean, large, and in some, for some, the community doesn't matter that much. I mean, it all depends on what the other members are and what the project is about but the community uh, played a part but uh, and tell me if you you would agree with me but i think the community is kind of like a key aspect in particular for the the technology itself right like blockchain technology is decentralized right so in a way the 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 how i like to think about nft native companies is that you know once you buy the NFT, is like you're buying share of the company and you have voting rights and you have a, kind of like a, a, a participation within the future of the community, right? Uh, and therefore, you know, it's quite important how the community behaves and acts and interacts and creates kind of like a desirable environment for continuation. Um, before I go to my next question, I just want to, to validate something that, I, that I've been thinking uh, that, you know, like so, some people say, uh, when I talk about this digital scarcity thing that we were talking and, you know, like this entitlement, perhaps that you mentioned from people that own a very rare NFT, many people say it's like, this is absurd. You know, this is just purely because you own an image that is rare. That's, that's, that's it's sort of like an illusion, right? But it's more than that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, if you were, if you own a rare NFT, it's not only that you own the rare NFT, but at least in many of the projects that I, that I know about and that I'm part of, uh, owning a rare NFT gives you actually more utility. So you actually has, have sometimes more return on investment. You know, you pay for that one that was rare and then potentially you get more rewards. You get more perhaps voting rights in some cases and stuff like that. So it's not only that you just own a rare image and then that makes you selfish, but it's, it's a little bit more complicated, right? It's like you own a rare image that gives you certain benefits, a uh, certain position within the project that is perhaps differentiated from the others. Would you agree with me? I would agree with that. Uh, it's not, as you said, just not owning a rare NFT, not just ownership of it, but you are a bigger uh, stakeholder in the whole project. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are more utilities that you can gain from the project. And also the emotional value we talked that NFTs provide, you would probably get more emotional arousal if the project goes well, you will mm. benefit from the social aspect of it more than the others because you are one of the most unique members. So almost all value dimensions, you uh, actually benefit more if you are one of the holders who hold the rare NFTs. That makes absolute sense. Um, all right, so Sophie, you mentioned some of the key drivers that we identify. Um, how do these drivers change throughout the NFT customer journey? And I think this is a, a bit of a complex question and, and, and our data reflects it in itself, right? Uh, it seems that, uh, you know, like the monetary value is typically what drives people into the projects. 
I'm going to get rich, you know, kind of thing for some people, or at least, you know, they see a potential, but then that starts changing throughout the journey, right? Like on, on the journey, as, as Tuba was mentioning as well, you know, it typically involves like these three stages, you know, you develop some preferences and kind of like, uh, like some project, then you move on to the purchase stage where you, um, you know, just make the, the, the purchase and then you either hold or sell the NFT. So how do these drivers change throughout that journey? So uh, what we have seen from our data is that uh, monetary reasons or the monetary value is one of the biggest drivers at almost every stage. That is true. But if it was only about making quick profit, people wouldn't just invest in NFTs. They would just go ahead and buy uh, stocks, I guess. So different values are become more important at different stages. Uh, for example, fun uh, and enjoyment or just the emotional value in general seems like uh, becoming more important at the preference development stage, so at the early stages. Also, we see that community building aspect of the NFTs is more important at early stages compared to the later stages. So it seems like if you want the people to, uh, if you want to attract people to your NFT projects, if you want people to develop a preference for your project, you should maybe focus on this um, emotional aspect of it and the community aspect of it. And then we see in later stages, the main driver becomes the monetary benefits. Um, but of course, still in the later stages at the purchase and the holding stage, we see all value dimensions to have an effect. <laughs> <laughs> that makes yeah that that that, that that's interesting so yeah, th there is actually a variation of value drivers through the uh, nft customer journey so this is a good moment to tell you all that you know this is uh, what we're discussing now is based on an article that just recently got published in the journal of business research is entitled what makes nfts valuable to consumers perceived value drivers associated with nfts liking buying and holding um one thing that I want to, to say before we move to the next question is that one of the, the interesting things about this article, in my opinion, but I'm not sure if you guys would agree with me, is that we kind of like give a temporal dimension to value drivers throughout the journey. You know, it's kind of like tracking these value drivers in time, you know, which I think it's kind of like interesting because um, what you said to us, you know, is like people don't derive the same value throughout each of the stages. Would you agree with me on that reflection? Yes, I would agree with that. So um, we, we mainly used uh, value theory in our research. Uh, it's a bit of a theoretical talk. I'm not going to go deep into it. Uh, but what we see is that, as you said, value dimensions or the value drivers have different importance at different stages. So we realize we can't just say that there is one set of value drivers that has an effect on NFTs. We need to divide NFT journey into different stages into a customer journey and then we need to extend this value theory temporarily hmm. meaning we need to look at the temporal dimensions of value how value changes across stages and we actually um as i mentioned before we see that there are different factors that has a stronger effect at different stages which gives a more I mean, com complex and nuanced view i guess on the newspaper headline of people pay 2.3 million dollars for an nft right it's not that they just pay that because whatever it's because there is actually a process of value creation in the background that spreads throughout the journey that people have with that specific with a specific nft uh, as digital asset i guess sophie yeah i mean just as a few like examples of our findings like technology for instance that was rated as more important in the liking compared to the holding stages um, so it all, it's also a concrete example that technology is important, but more in the beginning than at the later stages. Uh, mm. For what reason? I mean, we don't know why that is the case. That is for someone else to look at, like why all these things happen. Um, another one is that uh, utility was considered more important uh, in the purchasing and holding compared to um, the um 
sorry, utility was considered more important in the purchasing and holding stages compared to the liking stage. So it, it was more important at the later stages compared to at the beginning. That was kind of surprising to me. I don't know why that would be yeah. the case. But I guess there is something that makes sense uh, of that, which is like, you know, if you're receiving some sort of reward, you know, toward the end, you, you just don't want to, to sell probably, you just want to hold it. So it might be the case that that's kind of like a differentiating factor there. But let, let me, you know, like we have been talking up until this point, very theoretically, right? It's like, what is value? You know, what is the customer journey? How value drivers change throughout the journey? Uh, what are some examples of projects that you know? And, and I think this is a good moment also to bring in the, the sports examples that, that you mentioned at the beginning, Sophie. Uh, what, what are some projects or, or examples? And I guess we can divide them into like the, the native NFT projects. And maybe if you have some as well, how brands are using NFTs to create value. Yeah, I mean, um, some of the top leagues in sport, they have been very, uh, successful i think in creating uh, co collections so for instance this is probably known for many but nba top shots is a good mm -hmm. example and uh, for those who don't know about it i would say it's um it's for the whole nba league and it's uh, they have a platform of their own uh, where where the trading goes on and it it's um corresponding to you know baseball cards in a sense but it's more than that but if you take that kind of basic features that you collect cards uh, and then you can trade them between the other members of the platform so in that sense it's the same but then there are other layers on top of this so like you have mentioned if you own certain of these nfts you get access to new ones and new drops that are coming if you own happen to own a certain nft there's also a, a piece of I wouldn't say gambling, but gamification that in some packs that you buy, you don't know exactly what the content will be, uh, which is mm. also this element of like surprise. And you can, of course, get positively surprised or I guess negatively surprised, but usually it's something good. Um, and then there is also they have this thing called moments. So it's not just digital static pictures. It's actually small video clips, uh, which are like the highlights from the real games. And you can, so you can kind of mm. own your favorite moment from your favorite player, from your favorite team, uh, essentially making you like a, you can co-own a piece of history. I mean, that's what mm. it feels like to me, at least. Uh, so I think this is very cool. And, and it's different, uh, I think, to the native projects in the sense that it connects to the real world. Like the, the, the players are real, they exist in reality. The games have been played, they have gone down and they are recorded digitally but you can the difference is now you can own a piece of that uh, through nfts those are some examples i think that that's an example of a quite successful project that's a that's a good example and you know like it reminds me of when i was a child we had like these uh, collector cards you know of of you know sports and stuff like that and of course there will be some that would be extremely rare and you would have to go and hunt them you know throughout the city to see where you can find them but now that is represented in the digital world and it has this uh, kind of like additional layer, which is it's not only like an image, but it's an image with metadata, which basically is data that can be associated with it. And it could even be audiovisual as well, right? It doesn't necessarily need to be just like a static picture, but it could be, you know, something that is uh, uh, moving, that has sound and stuff like that. And that is, again, registered within the blockchain as a specific asset that you have a certificate of ownership. Yeah, but then I also know about project because I do do some consulting within the sports industry in here in Scandinavia, and I've worked a lot with ice hockey and soccer. And I mean, there are different examples. I mean, I have one example, I won't name, name it, but there is an example of one club who tried to launch an NFT project super early, like more than one year ago. And it just completely failed because they didn't know exactly what it was. And I don't think they had kind of done the research within their existing mm. fan community of what the fans were looking for. So it's not just like, oh, just create an NFT and, and you know, everything is going to be, you know, success. It's not like that. I think you really have to know what that you're is... doing to make it successful. Mm. So there are some clubs in the UK that are working with NFTs project that seem to be going quite well. 
but there they also have more layers to it because a club is smaller than a whole league, right? Hmm. So in the club, you have a, you have an existing community already, which I think is important. So you have that to work with. And you also have these personas that uh, in, in terms of the players, the coaches and so on, which you can give access to uh, through different perks and so on. So I think sports club are like the ideal use case. I think they would could really benefit from from launching NFT projects if but, they do it working with their fans so they know how mm, to design them. Which I think you're mentioning something that is kind of like critical here and is that, you know, as, as in the offline marketplace, uh, NFT projects are also uh, prone to failure. You know, it's not that all of them that are launched are successful, right? And and there is actually a big market and competition, I guess, in terms of the different value that each project delivers to the, the customer. And therefore, uh, some projects might be more successful than others. But there is this other thing, which is that the part of the technology adoption, right? Is like if you are, I don't know, like a crisps brand or in a supermarket, I mean, if you are going to launch an NFT, an NFT associated with your brand, you first need to check if actually your target market uses it, uses the technology, right? Because otherwise you have to tell them, hey, create a digital wallet, do this, do that, do this, learn this, learn that. And probably it's going to be more effortful than anything else. And it will just simply not happen, which I have parallels with that, with virtual reality. I've had brands that come to me and say like, hey, let's do this virtual reality experience. And then I check their target market and the technology option of virtual reality is so low that it's just going to be, you know, the formula for failure. <laughs> So that is that is quite important as well, you know, as, as Tua was mentioning at the beginning, NFTs for traditional brands are an additional touch point and therefore you need to see how your market interacts with it. And for native companies, you know, they need to think, the native digital companies, they need really to think what's the value that they derive in a given frame of reference and competitive marketplace so that they actually can, can compete um, with their unique uh, value offer, I guess. Uh, but Tuba, I know that you have been uh, involved in in different NFT projects on Cardano, and 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 I know you. I mean, we know many of the similar projects. So why don't you tell us about one or two of those projects that 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 you know? How do they work? What's the value they deliver? Uh, so there are a couple of projects that I have been part of, but the 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 first one that comes to mind is Block Alls, uh, and actually the creator is Norwegian, uh, so that's a good match. I didn't know uh, that. <laughs> Uh -huh. uh, and I think what attracted me to the project was simply the art. I really liked the art. And I also thought that the community was very creative, the community behind uh, blog posts. I have spent quite some time on the discourse. Uh, once upon a time, I don't spend it as much now. But I think that was the art and the community that attracted me to this project. And there are a couple of projects. For example, I'm interested in Clay Nations. Again, I like the art as well as the community aspect. And I think that's quite quite a thing because you know, like uh, I'm I also own several NFT projects. Some that are, for example, artificial intelligence created art uh, by a programmer and stuff like that. And and uh, and it's a way for many content creators, as you were saying, you know, to connect directly with the with their audiences, right? It's like people can actually purchase directly from them their art. Uh, and support them and there is a community around it right typically the art stands for something you know or has kind of like a like-minded community that discusses topics that are similar and that's the value that they deliver actually one of the industries that is using a lot nfts is art because it's proof of ownership right it's very difficult for you know art historians to go and look at the art painting and check if it's the original one or not well with a, with you know blockchain technology it becomes a little bit easier um yes. And I think also with the smart, sorry, I think also with the smart contracts is really a benefit for the artist because now, I mean, I don't know if you want to explain that more in detail, but essentially now the artist, every time um, a piece of art is sold uh, and resold in the secondary market, um, essentially you can create uh, a contract which gives some kind of kickback to the initial artist. And I mean, that's not the case with the traditional art mar market. Picasso and Van Gogh, like they never saw any of the, you know, crazy prices that these painting costs now. They just got one initial sum and that was it. 
And I think um, it's actually two twofold kind of the benefit. The, the first one is, you know, you remove the middleman as blockchain technology does. So it's not that you have to sell your art through somebody, but you can sell it directly. And therefore all the fees that are associated with the process of selling go to you. I can speak with the experience of this, like with my book, you know, the publishing industry, typically you go through a publisher and then you publish the book. But of course, the publisher takes a big chunk of the, the income of or associated with the with the project because they are dealing with most of the things. But when I published my NFT book, that was removed. So I got basically the fees myself and I also got the, the royalties, which is what you're t telling, right? Like now that every time that my book is sold in the secondary market, I get a percentage of that uh, as, as a royalty of the book. So that's another kind of utility, I guess, that, that you can get from, from that. And um, I want to... Uh... You asked me which projects and I like, and uh, that brought me um, that brought my mind to different insights uh, that I gained over the conference that we uh, together with Sophie last week. The first one is uh, one of the commenters said that maybe we should segment the NFT co uh, consumers, uh, and uh, that was a comment made after our research because it seems like some NFT users value art more, so they are maybe more creatives. Some are more investors, some are more uh, interested in community aspect. So maybe we can really segment these NFT consumers. And I believe on, I'm one of these, one of those segments that can be uh, identified as creators or the creatives who like art aspect of it uh, or the visually pleasing aspect of it. Uh, and the second insight was that one presenter said that people do not necessarily value digital art or the NFTs as much as their physical counterparts. And it was mm. because physical art or the NFTs lacked essence or a soul in a way. And I find this very interesting because the projects I actually tend to like are the ones that we can call digitally native. Mm. They look like they utilize the technology uh, the generative AI uh, and turn them into digital art that belongs, that is natively digital compared to the art that we can see in the physical world that is reflected on the digital world. So I feel like the next step would be for the artist to think about this essence and what belongs to an NFT. Does a physical or uh, does a digital representation of a physical item, does it really belong to NFT? Can we really create value through these NFTs? Or should we really focus more on the digitally native art in the NFT world? That is quite interesting. And I, I don't remember exactly the name of the, the artist, but there was one artist that was actually playing with this uh, division and, and, and launched an art collection that you would randomly be assigned either the physical or the NFT. Uh, and I think there is also kind of like oh, a... David well, Hurst. Okay, there that's, you go. Yeah, he created 10,000 NFTs, I think 10,000, and he said that he also made the physical counterparts of it and uh, you buy the NFTs and then you had one year to decide if you want to burn the physical copies or if you want to burn the NFTs. Hmm. And uh, what he sees actually more than half of them wanted to keep the physical part, but still we see a big portion of them wanted to keep the NFT. So he was questioning the value in NFTs. What is value? What is art? What is money? Hmm. So, which I think that, that there will be a kind of like an interesting space for innovation on how to link the physical and the digital through blockchain technology. And, and I think we're just, you know, uh, I mean, in, in that space, people always like to say that we're at early stages, but I do believe that we are at early stages because, you know, like at the moment, the technology is still too to technical, I guess, to, 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 for, you, for anyone to join. You really have to go through a learning process and a learning curve that is not necessarily super friendly. Uh, but as the technology becomes more user-friendly, as people start finding more use cases, you know, the, the, the innovation is going to be quite dramatic, I, I feel. Um, this is a good moment, guys, to, to ask you, uh, how can our listeners contact you if they, if they have more questions? You know, like I, 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 I think that both of the research that, that you is quite interesting and, and relevant. Uh, so I guess what's the best way to, to contact you if anyone has questions uh, through your emails, school websites, what would you say? Yeah, my email works to... fine. Oh, sorry, <laughs> it's huh? this lagging effect. Okay, so <laughs> for me, the sophie.sagfasem 
at oslonh.no is fine or otherwise linkedin is good because just find my name it's pretty unique and linkedin never changes which mm. emails might do so same with me you can uh, connect me via email tuba.ilmas at bi.no and you can try to find me on uh, linkedin but you will see probably hundreds of other tuba ilmases that's a common surname but if you write tuba ilmas and norway you will find me Excellent. What I will do is I will post uh, your LinkedIn and uh, uh, university uh, links on the description of the podcast so that people can access and read more about the stuff that you're doing and, and so on. Um, well, we're now in the in the in, close to the end of the podcast, but I do have one final question for both of you. And this is a question that many of my students are actually asking me and is, you know, regardless of whether you're in a traditional company or a digital native NFT company, what recommendations would you give people when it comes to NFTs value and the customer journey? And I guess there are multiple, right? You know, I don't pretend that we cover all of them, but, but I know that uh, you might think of one or two that could be interesting for our listeners. Uh, so I think for brands, uh, it is a great brand building tool. Uh, you can either drop drop an NFT project or you can uh, do uh, NFT-based loyalty programs. But it is important to realize that NFT drops are not just ad campaigns. They are a new way to meaningfully engage with your customers. They are a new digital touch point with your customers. So the companies really need to utilize these spaces. And we have seen uh, a couple of successful examples in the last years. What they do is that they realize it's a perfect opportunity to get in touch with the customers, build a community, and maybe sometimes co-create with uh, your customers. And what happens in the situation is customer is not just a customer anymore. It's a stakeholder in the project. It's an investor. It's a co-creator. Uh, it's a content creator. Um, so you need to learn how to align your incentives with your consumers through your NFT projects. And NFT projects provide a great environment to do so. Uh, so the brands need to not just you know think about like a, I'm gonna drop the NFTs and I'm gonna make some revenue and I'm just be done with it. It's a more long-term strategy. It's a community building uh, strategy, I guess. And I love I love what you're saying about kind of like rethinking the, the the customer in a way because it's not the customer that passively receives something or that just interacts, but it's an active member of the content or of the creation of the whole thing, right? Definitely, mm -hmm. I think that is the what NFT technology provides the brands. So they should realize this is like the single most important um, driver that the brands should be using these NFT spaces. They can also create uh, NFT-based membership or loyalty programs and give access to uh, different events, uh, different, um, different perks, so that they can, again, uh, engage with their customers in a meaningful way. I think these are some of the things that the brands can do. Nice. Yeah, I actually have uh, the same answer regardless if you're an established brand or if you're like a Web3 native company, startup or whatever. Uh, I think like back to basics, like do your market research on your intended target group uh, from the start. And maybe you can make use of our eight drivers that we have identified through this research. Start with those drivers, do the market research with the right target group. Uh, and then proceed to small beta testing. Like don't make a huge launch, but just beta test on a small number of users. I, I mean, that's what I, that would be my generic answer. Uh, because we... you think it's so obvious with the market research, but then you just see all these failed projects and mm. you think, you know, didn't they test before? Didn't they check this out? I get many of them. I think they didn't. 
that is that is quite interesting because you know it touches on the on, on a sort of reflection that I guess many scholars are going through, which is to what extent traditional models in marketing or business help us to understand new contexts with new technologies. And you know, like the answer that I have got from many of our guests is like you know the fundamentals are still the fundamentals, you know, and you still have to go through them. You still need to do your market research, identify your frame of reference, who are you competing with, how do you match them, how are you different from them, and so on. But of course, with a little tweak, right, which is the new tools that you have. So as Tuba was saying, it's a new touch point. So see it as a new touch point with some benefits and through the lenses of the kind of like fundamentals articulated so that you can actually have a good strategy for your business. So that's a nice way to, to, a nice way to finish the, 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 the podcast. Thank you guys so much for this very insightful discussion. I'm... Uh, quite happy with the the work that we did and and also the the, the insights that we're deriving. Of course, there are many many more questions that we need to answer and that people will need to answer before we fully understand all this. But uh, I think this this is a very good start of a discussion that needs to happen and is you know how people derive value from NFTs. So, Tuba, Sophie, thank you so much for being in the podcast. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you for inviting Carlos. This was really fun. It's always fun to be here, guys. <laughs>